Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today we have Bonin Bao. Hey, Bonin, how are you? I am fabulous. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm great. Bonin is right now the chief growth officer at Triller, but anybody who's worked in the media, marketing, communications, and innovation industry has known that Bonin has done so much more than just Triller. He has a company called Bonin Ventures, which has brought us uh, great things like BreadBot. Uh, he it sits on several boards, such as CETO, PMI, and others. He was the chief digital officer at Mondelez and Pepsi. Uh, basically, oh, and, and, and as an afterthought, I have to say he did a television show with uh, LeBron James. So uh, we're, we're, we're very fortunate to have Bonin in the, on the show today. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Bonin on Uncaged. I mean, there's, there's so many ways we can go with this conversation. So I think we just kind of roll with it. But I mean, just to kind of ground the conversation, maybe if you could just like tell people about, about your career and kind of like how you got where you are today. I was a twinkle in my dad's eye. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's funny because in many respects, it, it does go my dad and my mom, you know, it was kind of left brain, right brain. Uh, my dad was a photographer, my mom, uh, well, practicing CPA for many, many years, but they started their, you know, a, a studio in a time period where it was difficult to be a black photographer, it was difficult to be a photographer, it was difficult to be a small business owner, New York was falling apart, you know, they got a place and they were so broke, uh, but they bought equipment in a studio and they turned the sheetrock around that was, you know, repainted wow. it. Uh, um, that was on 14th and 5th, uh, 5,000 square foot studio. And of course, they got rid of it when they separated, which was probably the worst mistake that they've made, uh, aside from maybe myself. Uh, and um, but I think that growing up and watching kind of the creativity of my dad and then the relentless focus of my mom on, on with me in terms of education, went to Montessori school very early. I think all those early lessons kind of, I think, I mean, of course, led to uh, today, but you know, the journey I think um, is always, you don't really know what the real journey is gonna be. When I went to school, college, it was political science and physics were my majors. And I was trying to become an uh, engineering lawyer because you know, my understanding was that lawyers did pretty well. So <laughs> that was my goal. Now every lawyer I meet are like, oh, pissed off that I'm a lawyer, right? So- uh, Every lawyer uh, wants to do something completely different. Right, every lawyer is upset at being a lawyer, right? So, uh, but I fall in love with philosophy and I end up uh, getting accepted to Columbia for political philosophy. Uh, During the time in college, I had a web company. Uh, I had learned how to program when I was young, like 12, 12 years old. I got very lucky actually, 
what many people don't know, my mom, when my parent, my parents separated, my mom was a single parent. Uh, we moved up to Harlem. Uh, we had very little money to the point where we were on welfare for many years. Uh, so when I think back to like the time periods growing up in Harlem and running through abandoned buildings with crack files on the ground, statistically, I'm not really supposed to be here, you know? Yeah. Uh, somehow my mom ended up meeting uh, and dating for a little bit one of the original engineers uh, on the Apple team, uh, actually wow. a black guy. Uh, and so she had one of the first five twelve Ks ever made. Uh, his signature was on the chip, actually one of the signatures on the chip. Uh, and so basically, I learned uh, first on the Commodore sixty four, but most of my life on that five twelve K. And uh, you know, and at the time, I think it was HyperCard and whatever, right? Taught myself how to program later on Pascal C, yada yada yada. So in school, we started a web company, and we did the first Jordash website, the Jordash look, working, playing day. You know, I can still hear it in my mind. Um, but I graduate, we get rid of that. Um, I mean, I say get rid of it. I don't even know what we really made on it but so I needed to program I needed to work for the summer so I decided to freelance program and I ended up at like Proxycom, Razor, you, you know Marker. you know I bet like if you had that computer now Bond and it would be worth a small fortune <laughs> I can't believe that my mom got rid of it I'm so she's like and when when I asked you know I was like mom where's that 512k she's like oh I have the SE30 which is like five generations later I'm like you don't understand what I'm saying here Oh man, it would have been valuable just as a fish tank. Anyway, so um, so I uh, so I'm 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 at freelancing on all these internet companies. It's 1999. I go to a party and there's a, a vodka fountain and a shrimp boat. And I'll never forget. I was like, oh my god, this is the best industry ever. I gotta do this. <laughs> so uh, you know, so I end up landing at Ruder Finn, and uh, they were starting an interactive group. Um, I was there was a freelance programmer after about three months, they said, Hey, you know, we like how you operate. We'd love for you to be one of the founding members of the, and they brought this guy, Scott in and, you know, we started Ruderfin Interactive and, you know, I, unlike what many, sh unlike at the time, what many digital shops were from a PR agency, we really weren't even connected to the PR agency. We were a standalone hardcore digital shop. We went up against RGA, you know, all the big guys. And what was great was that the market fell out from under everybody. So we had right. all these pharmaceutical clients and, you know, drug, sex and rock and roll that always pays no matter what's going on. And so yeah. we were stable. And then we just started hoovering up all the work. You know, I remember walking by March 1st and you would see all the chairs stacked up and, you know, uh, and then Scott, again, just in luck of a draw, uh, Scott, or I guess not really luck, but putting yourself in the right place and taking those kind of right chances. Scott never wanted to travel. So we were pitching and trying to open offices around the world. So that was my job. So at you know, 21, 22, I was on planes opening up Asia, Europe. I lived in San Francisco for a little bit. You know, I did all the business travel, you know, and uh, I got to travel the world and just learn so many different industries and really, uh, and plus because it was a family owned company, they were very nurturing and we were growing. So I played so many different roles. And by the time I left, you know, I had built the tech team. I had, you know, built the information architecture right. team, the strategy, the BD, the yeah, new products. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and that was a great learning curve. I mean, sorry, great learning, but it was, Scott wasn't going anywhere. So I decided that I needed to take on that PL responsibility. And um, I ended up meeting with um, Gail Hyman. Uh, Gail. At a- Legend, at, Legendary uh, PR executive, yep. At, 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 I, did she just celebrate, I believe it was her 25th anniversary, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I believe it was when I was there on Zoom, yeah. so I should know this, but 
you know, and I met with her at a, a restaurant across the street. Uh, and, um, and Andy came afterwards and they kind of said, hey, man, we want to take a shot on you. And, uh, you know, did that, met you. Uh, so right. was also very lucky enough to work with, on the media lab with you. Um, and, you know, so I had the emerging tech side with you and then building the global digital agency at RL, uh, sorry, at Weber. And, uh, you know, for two years took that from pretty much nothing to, you know, uh, a real global footprint. Um, and, uh, and that was great. And, but <clears throat> there was something that was just telling me that, you know, clients were too dumb to buy good work. So maybe I need to go become a dumb client. And uh, so <laughs> Pepsi called and I, I originally didn't want to really honestly go to the client side, but a good friend of mine said, you, this, no, you're, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that, Pepsi? Like, yeah, go. I went to Pepsi as ultimately the first chief digital officer. Um, and that was an amazing experience because I think you don't realize the scale of these organizations and operations right. until you're in the belly of the beast. And we were able to do a lot of stuff there, you know, and really pioneer bringing digital into the CPG world uh, at scale around the globe. Um, again, Global Job got to really see, uh, you know, how- I mean, I, I think that one of the things that stands out for me when you were at Pepsi and certainly the, the stuff that you took on to Mondelez as well, was how you were able to weave together essentially a Fortune 500 operation with startups, you know, and all of the amazing things. I mean, that, that, was, that was very hard for companies. Many, many large companies still struggle to, to this day to do that effectively. And you were masterful at that with at Pepsi. Well, I think the other piece of it is that I learned a lot of the work we did together. I mean, like rolling Radiant 6 out across IPG, you know, and then even Social Chorus, which, you know, I always remind Joe, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, like those are, you know, those were a lot of lessons learned. And I had been working with startups at RF as well, not as much. Um, but yeah, once I got to Pepsi, that was really, I was on a mission to bring startups into large organizations. And more importantly, were to give startups the leg up that scale offers. Because if you think about what we did for Radiant 6, we took them and in six months, we get, put them uh, 22 countries, 19 languages. I don't know if you remember all these pieces, but we actually had our markets translating the UI for them. So they didn't have to buy translation. And yep. then we put 60 clients on them. I mean, for yeah. all intents and purposes, we built that business to sell, right? I mean, and fast. Yeah. Uh, and they did, they exited like three and a half years later. Uh, they did not, fine. Uh, they did fine. I I, uh, I think that that no experience, you, but, yeah, sorry. well, I, I mean, you and I uh, experienced a crazy pathway on that project, but it was uh, it was amazing to see how at the time, it, it's a while ago now, but social really wasn't certainly, certainly not what it is today. Um, and, and I remember trying to explain that these social platforms and tracking them was, was really critical to, to, to the board and, and how, how they, that board struggled with understanding that. And you, you were great at kind of being patient with them and there were moments where I think, you know, uh, you know a couple of board members were like, no one's ever going to use these websites. <laughs> you know, like, like, what? Twitters. Uh, Twitters. Yeah. <laughs> it was really, it was, yeah, it was definitely, but, you know, again, a learning lesson. And when I got to PepsiCo, it was really, you know, that 
learning, um, but also the determination to also unlock new opportunity for us. I knew if we got there early, I knew a couple of things. One, if we stood for digital, like now it's called digital transformation, then it was just called, oh my God, what's Facebook? But if we stood for kind of the beacon of the future of digital as, as an organization, the phones would light up for us and we would get all the calls and all the first looks. But we could also, in many respects, get the best deals in the marketplace and we could yeah. block out competitors and you know we could have a real true first mover advantage. And then if we could create programs where we could operationalize it, like PEP 10, which was you know 10 startups, 10 brands, and we're gonna roll out programs or the work we did. I mean, what people don't realize on that too is like, I kind of just went straight into the heart of that world uh, South by, I had been there for many, many years before. In fact, at Ruder Finn, we won a People's Choice Award, which is the first time I went um, on a program that I couldn't get a client to buy, but we just did it ourselves because it was so good and we won. Um, and I, for years, tried to get a client to go to South by or do South by, nobody did. So when I got there, we were the first non-endemic brand at South by, by that time it was, or then it was LinkedIn, Microsoft, and remember interactive didn't even use the whole convention center at that right. time, right? And so my first deal was all three, uh, all three events for $150,000, six brands integrated oh into God. it, right? Uh, yeah. But that became our Mecca. I used to call it the Davos of digital. That became the place that we would showcase to the world what we believe the future would be. We would attract talent. We would have, if you think about it, the most discerning eyes on us, basically telling us what we're doing wrong or right and helping us move our journey forward. And that kind of, I think, propelled us and propelled the organization. The organization, I think, was one of the big things. The organization felt like they were... It's funny, you know, it's a really interesting insight because those events used to be um, kind of those moments, these beacon moments that people would remember the birth of X or the birth of Y, Twitter. right? Like, uh, like Twitter or right. Snap or whatever. And they would, you know, people Twitter, would say, right. ah, the, 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 the application this year is that was this. But, you know, in, in our COVID world, I don't, I guess that, you know, I don't know what's replaced it. There's clearly well, it new kinda, things like Clubhouse, and, you know, Triller, right? Right. It kind of fell down and people didn't use it as launch anymore because it became so crowded, you know, and nobody really, I think we'll see what emerges now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still loyal. I think I've been to 20 South by Southwest. So, you know, I'm still loyal, but uh, we'll see what emerges. Um, and then, you know, I left there and... Um, We've done some great stuff, the Gatorade Mission Control. I mean, yeah. first ever user-generated beverage. I mean, real stuff that drove the business. Crashed the Super Bowl. Speaking of Super Bowl, we won six times in a row. Um, <clears throat> bunch of international stuff. And I left there because, you know, <clears throat> Kraft called me and offered me. They said, you know, we think all media is digital. and We want a digital guy to run all media. And I thought that that was very profound. And, you know, again, during that time, there wasn't real chief media officer is like a, a thing now, but it wasn't right. then. Right. Uh, right. And so, you know, I became chief media and later e-commerce officer. Um, and uh, really, we together, you know, I, you were the first port of call. Yeah. I said, I want to just do something that hadn't been done. Mobile was clearly where the world was. Yeah. And we struck out to do stuff with a bigger media landscape than were possible if you were just running digital. And one of that was 10% of spending uh, in mobile. Uh, at the end of the day, we moved from 3% spending 
to 32% spending. We added a little over $2 billion of top line net revenue. And when you think about that, Oreo is a $4 billion business. So you're talking about a business that took 100 years to get to 4 billion. And we in five years got to half of that and 300 million to the bottom line, real savings that, you know, change the profit margins of Yeah, and culture culture defining things like, you know, the Oreo dunk in the dark. I mean, there were so many. It, the it was drop a, a of the phenomenal guy, the pet, you know, all these guys have creator houses. If you think about it, the patch, we created how patch houses, you know, as a mechanism years ago, uh, you know, even the work we did on Trident and EDM, people don't yeah. even remember. Cause that was like early stuff where yeah. we did the, the mashup with Duran Duran hungry, like a wolf and oh. Steve Aoki. <laughs> and then built a whole spinning stage thing in Brazil where people, a whole new format where the light would shine on four stages, the light would shine on one stage, everybody run to that stage and then they play two songs and it was spinning, everybody run to the next day, like a whole new festival format that kind of took off, you know? Uh, And I think for me, it was always like, how do we create assets that are ownable, that are unique, that can last the test of time? And, you know, and, but at the same time, I think as an executive, I got very blessed, I really, thought a lot about, you know, when we ran Brand New together, which was a talent accelerator, and you know how, how much I'm focused on talent, but I also really thought about myself, which is, could I create the career I wanted? I didn't right. want to go and live in China for, you know, two years and run, but I did want to live in China. So how could I begin to create projects, you know, like the relaunch of Oreo in China. So I got to live in China for a year. I lived in India for nine months when we relaunched Cadbury. I lived in Brazil for six months when we relaunched Trident. But I got to actually be in market and spend real time in markets that were unique and interesting and got a chance to really get close to consumer behavior and watch it. And, you know, we can talk about all the different things that happened in in Mondelez later, uh, e-com, but we took e-com from zero to 265 in 18 months. And when you look back, we were the first time that Oreo had ever delivered direct to consumer in its entire history. We built a DTC business early days, but we also, even before other brands, you know, and so I think the only person who had done that before was Mars on the M on the M&Ms. We couldn't find other models to even look at. And M&M's was also almost a totally separate business than, you know, uh, at least a personal product was than what we were trying to do core. And we also created a strategy that would represent 50% of the total growth of the business and what's out now snacking futures, which was our venture arm, which Mm -hmm. we put together to, to build, you know, help better for you brands in the digital ecosystem, you know, yeah. just kind of rolled out for them 18 months ago. So those were great times, but I was sitting in China and I was watching WeChat grow. And I said, you know what? I know that the most amount of human consumption today and time spent is being spent right now in messaging. This right. is going to be the feed of your life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to quit. I'm going to invest in messaging tech and I'm going to become <laughs> rich. <laughs> and uh, I wrote the book with my phone number on the cover. And at That's the same right. time, I met a guy named Rich, uh, Richard Ludenis, who had Sundial. And um, he asked me to jump back in and I didn't want to, but I did. And we focused on really building that business on e-com and owning the customer data in terms of really the phone number. And that went from 200 to 300 million. I was chief growth officer in 12 mm-hmm. months. And then we sold the Unilever for a little under a billion. Uh, and then I thought I was done. Uh, and we were focused on the portfolio, the bread bots of the world. Yeah. And then the Triller opportunity came around. And, so tell uh, me you know, more about uh, Triller. I mean, that's what you're working on now. I, I, I hesitate when I say, what are you working, asking you the question of what you're working on now? Because 
I, I know you too well to, uh, to know that you're, I know you're working on probably a million things, but your main thing right now is Triller. So tell me, tell me uh, what's, what's going on there. I mean, you know, look at the end of the, here, here's the, here's the amazing thing. So what people don't realize is, have you ever said, what's the largest competitor I could go up against and said, let me choose that competitor. I've been very happy about it. Like we literally are fighting what has been deemed as the largest business in the world. Like literally we're, and by the way, the other guys that are underneath them are pretty big as well. And in a very short period of time, like people don't, people look at the business as a five-year-old business, but the reality is it's, it's less than two years old. Like when that business was rebought and reformalized and pieces were put together from other companies to kind of make the product that you see today, that was less than two years ago. Right. And in that short period of time, the fact that articles even mention us <laughs> alongside yeah. All of the majors is, you know, I think a testament to kind of what we are approaching the world from. And so I think, you know, look, just for those that don't know, we're a short form video platform, um, you know, um, but more important than that, and this is where I think is different and what, what, what attracted me to the business is that the business started with a simple ethos, which is it believes that we believe that creators have the right to monetize their creativity. And when you really step back and think about how the platforms, the large ones were built today, they were built on the back of creatives that didn't truly benefit from the monetization of their creativity. Mm -hmm. And so that to me, when I see stuff like that, that to me is a seismic change. If you can create a platform that can truly democratize the monetization for millions of creators around the world that are driving the audience. Yeah, that that's been an platform. Achilles heel for music artists, all types of artists for years. So, you know, I mean, you can read what, you know, recent in the paper, but we were the first platform to go to the labels and say, we want to work with you. We want to buy the licensing rights because we want to be a place that builds the business of those artists. We built social uh, social streaming, which is completely patented by us. We are an actual streaming app, the only app where you can actually listen to the full song, which means that artists actually get credit, not just for the chart, but they actually get paid, right? Not just a licensing deal, but they actually make money as a, if it was a spin and it also goes towards the charts. So that was massively important. And that was the first step which meant that we had access to a library and it meant that if you put a video up as a user and you posted it anywhere else, uh, it, those rights kind of carry with it, which was also massively important. So it meant that artists could now use our platform as a starting point and also our camera kit, massive AI behind it, the most AI of any of the camera kits, which means that you can create a video, upload a bunch of videos, upload a song, and we'll go in, we'll actually look at the motion in the video, the peaks and troughs of the song, and we'll create a professionally generated video with quick cuts yeah. that looks, that you can't do anywhere else. So those two things gave this thing legs. And, right. you know, it started to, you know, really, really, really kind of take off. And that was the combination of two companies that were brought together during that early stage. Um, and then the next piece of the business, and so that, that, you know, that's who we are. So you all the things that you can do on other platforms, for example, you know, we have, we just launched a huge live, which I'll talk about. We've got in-feed video, lenses, filters, right. you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, but the bigger thing is that we don't see our world, like we don't see ourselves as a platform based around demographics. Although our demographic is, is an older one. So our core audience is really 18 to 34. You can cut mm -hmm. it 16 to you know 28 if you want, but that's really where we are. And look, you can get hundreds of millions of, you know, 11 year olds to do something. But at the end of the day, 
you know, the 18 they, to 34. What are they going to buy? <laughs> right. And what are they going to buy? That's why 18 to 34 matters because they actually, not are they just the culture creators, the culture makers, the culture seekers, but they're the culture buyers, dude. Like I remember, is- you know, when we were investing in uh, Facebook at IPG, that was one of the big discussions because at the time Facebook was still just a dot edu. And, right. um, you know, there's a lot of discussion of, well, college kids don't buy anything. They don't buy enough. <laughs> and you're like, right. well, I, mean, I you, you know, I think they're going to, they buy a lot and they. Right. They do buy a lot, but yeah. really that, that's that, but that, you know, that 18, that's the, that's the demo where that's the hard to find demo. And we don't approach it from let's cut the audience by, we approach it from a culture graphic. So we believe that the people who we touch are those that actually are the drivers of culture. Look, and at the end of the day, we know today it's really hip hop, it's urban, it's the derivatives of some of those, K-pop, you know, drum and bass. You know I mean? Like that's where our audience is. That's who we are. Those are the culture drivers, right? Right, those are the real drivers, like the real, real drivers. And and it doesn't matter about race or gender, although we're 62%, we also are the most, uh, you know, the most ethnically diverse, at least in the U.S. of the platforms, if you look percentage of numbers. Uh, and it's interesting, WeMaps just wrote a piece of the work they did with us. Um, and, uh, but the bigger piece about that is that we're trying to build a brand. Like we're not, what, what, is, what, what do the other platforms, what do they stand for? What do they mean? Like, I'll never forget when Mark Echo said, you know what a brand is? A brand is when somebody will tattoo that brand on their body. Like that's when you have a brand. And at the end of the day, people will fight just to get Triller merchandise from us. And so we believe we're the MTV of this generation. We're unapologetic, we're irreverent, you know, and we're going to live up to our motto, which is you do you. We're here to give you the space. We're not gonna block voices, you know, you do you. And we're actually building a brand in the world that brands want to stand alongside. And then- you know, I mean, I and think that's you're a- kind of answering my my next question is, which is really, when you look at something like Triller, uh, why why do you see it being important in in the media landscape today? Because we will meet, we create we are in the business of creating cultural moments that matter to the world. So people ask like, oh, the fight it's not on the app. Why is the fight not? Well, first of all, the so the the third piece I would say is that we are. viscerally focus on breaking down walled gardens. We do not believe that the walled garden is the model of the future. In fact, we believe that a starting point for the distribution across the internet is, you know, and if you really truly step back and think about it, it is what Facebook and Google really are. And so 20% of the marketplace is fighting with the true walled gardens, while 80% of the budget is actually sitting on the two big guys that are literally distributing your content, your eyeballs you need across every aspect of the internet they can get to. That's where we believe our world is, right? Mm-hmm. Not just the internet, but we believe it's, it's even beyond that. So people ask, whoa, the fight, it wasn't, what, what was it? Well, first it was a driver for downloads, this big point for us. But the bigger thing was, it was a brand moment for us. We put Tyson back into the ring, not, you know, uh, the other guys, not HBO boxing, Triller did. Triller had its stamp on the biggest pay-per-view event of the year, the eighth largest in the history of pay-per-view events, and probably one of the biggest cultural moments. There was not one person who wasn't glued to that TV watching to see what, what Tyson did. And that right. put Triller brand front and center, and it also created an entirely new asset for us to bring brands along with us. So if you look at the uh, you know the Ad Age article, Weed Maps said they had the highest 
day in the history of the business, even bigger than 420, which is like, you know, their Super Bowl. Wow. And they had the most amount of downloads in the history of the company. And I can't tell you that, you know, you, you can go and see the other advertisers there. They all had the same experience, all the same experience, but we also integrated it. It was weaved in, there was call outs, there were shout outs. We did vignettes in papers. You paid 30 seconds. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big differentiator between you and some of the other players. Uh, you know, I think that what we see with the other players right now is that they're playing kind of small media, right? They're, That's what they're playing. Right. And, and, and what you're talking about is how do you take these individuals that on their own might be small media, but can connect it into a much larger, uh, really culturally changing experience, right? That's 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 brilliant. I mean, that is a very very much of a differentiator between you and some of these other video platforms that we're seeing right now. Right, and as we move into social commerce, like we have a whole different perspective on what social commerce is. Look, if you think about the total ecosystem a user goes through, none of the platforms, even though they have the strength, they have the assets, they're not connected. So yeah. when you abandon cart from an Instagram, why am I not getting hit up from WhatsApp? Right. Like, so right. when we look at the world, it's like, okay, how do we take the things that are winning in, in the models, the true tech models that are winning, not just here's a media thing. And our social commerce is truly an ecosystem that provides all the pieces that you need to actually take the consumer from seeing a product to closing a product, even if there's a waiting period in between here where they're volleying back and forth and we're providing total solutions. So when we put things in the marketplace, it's complete. And then the other piece I would say is our live product, what people don't realize is, and we're bringing back long form, I don't wanna say TV, but we're bringing back program time slots, which I know sound appointment viewing sounds crazy to people. It sounds right. nuts to people, right? But if you really look at what worked during pandemic, so we have clients, we've done, you know, Levi's, Pepsi, Nick's, Elf, live stream here, live this, live that. If you really look at what worked, it's things like D-Nice, right? And why wow. did D-Nice work? It was almost the same time every night or, you know, every, or, or Levi's 501. Why? Because it was Thursday at 501. They were able to build audience and people understood when it was coming. It was locked in. And that's what appointment viewing. Now, look, it's, it's not like what it was, you know, when TV had three channels, but there was a different world. But what's even more interesting for that for us is, you know, we come from a background that comes from the, the movie world. And some of the big questions that our leadership used to ask is, why can't I just shoot a trailer and throw the trailer out to the world? And if the trailer likes it, then I'll write the check to make the movie. Well, guess mm -hmm. what we're doing? We've got a bunch of 32 second trailers that are all out. Right. But we're basically seeing what really, really works. And then all of a sudden saying, okay, we're gonna turn that into something that can be much bigger. So yeah. you know, our, our vision of the world is just a little bit more exp expansive because we're also not, we're not, a, we're not a tech first platform that then turn, you know, trying to be something else. We're literally trying to build something for brands to actually have access to yeah, a cultural, a, a cultural change agent. So, so, I mean, Triller is basically almost like a startup on steroids, right? I mean, you guys are moving very, very quickly in that type of environment. What, what, what is making you happiest right now? What's bringing you joy? Um, uh, nine o'clock when LA goes to sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. That, that's probably uh, a very honest answer. But like, I mean, when you think about that's like- That's the most joyous moment. <laughs> no, no I, you know, I, I know you and I have spoken. I know some of the things that you've been working on is like building the team out and, 
and really you kind know, of, I think, capturing that magic. What's bringing me joy is seeing the smile on our client's face after, I've never been on the platform side, man, you know? And I've never been on the sales side. Like, it is hard. All you guys that used to email me and I never responded, I'm so sorry, dude. I apologize with all my heart. <laughs> it sucks. Uh, but you know, it's it's. Uh, you it's, know, I, I I remember that uh, when I went went off to set up Canary, I I uh, and and I realized how hard it was one to build a platform and two to kind of actually turn it into a successful business. And all of those client, all of those small startup companies that I had met at IPG, that I had been like, yeah, that's not, you know, w- we're not going to do that. I I literally called all of them up and it was like, I'm very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, do you need Canary? absolutely Uh, you know so so for me it's 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 learning a new muscle um so that's very exciting and you know it was also learning it was you know it was also learning how to set value right and so if you look at all these platforms they get stuck in the test and learn budgets right and here's 50 grand and i said wait no way are we doing that we have the biggest assets, the biggest artists. Not only are they on the platform, many of them are invested in the platform or the labels are also invested in the platform. We have talent like we've never seen, the biggest influencers on planet Earth. We have massive cultural assets. We're going to play at the budget levels of the big boys. And we're not. And if you're not going to play with us at that, next, we're moving on. It's fine. And you know the guys that have been on that journey with us and we continue to build our client roster up, those guys, I mean, they are like over the moon, man. And so the best part of my day is to see the success and to see clients come back and to see clients come back and tell us, we want to be first. We know if we get with you, you're going to, we, we, we have a, so I learned a lot, like, right. Think about how long it took Instagram or Google or any of those guys have brand strategy folks that actually yeah. understood and came up with concepts, Years. creative, yeah. right. Years. We have that today that we have a white glove service for everybody who walk every customer who comes into the doors of trailer. We provide that we literally just like we were an agency, we pitch creative concepts that we know are tied to the platform shows. We already have our feelers out to creators that are constantly feeding us things they want to do. You know, so we are literally providing a true service that understands our platform and most importantly, our cultural consumer and learning your business and delivering against it. And that's why the results show. I mean, with Elf, we had four songs that they were creating for Christmas. We took them to the top of the billboard chart with Nick's. It was like a huge, you know, I can't speak specific to there, but huge yeah. success. I mean, and they're back and they're all back saying, Hey, that's how do we great. do more? And so that is the most exciting part of the job. And then the other piece is, I always love career development, you know, and yeah. I just love watching people grow and get better and get more confident and yeah. like, you know, and look again, we're, we have, we have the right to be a little bit more rebellious, you know? Uh, and the only way we're going to get there is if we are rebellious because yeah. we're fighting against giants, dude, you know what I mean? And, but we're winning, we're winning and they know it. And that's the other so one thing. They, we're, we're, and we're not just nipping at their heels. We're like cutting down pieces of their leg. Like they're slowly, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, where's this machete coming from yeah baby anyway that's that's great i mean uh it's 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 kind of an odd thing to think about but you know in a in a landscape that's clearly been changing so rapidly because of the pandemic that we've lived through over the last year um and and continues to change with a you know new new president and a, a new 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 agenda what what are your hopes for triller and the industry um, going forward, you know, what, what does 2021 look like for you? 
Yeah, let's, uh, you know, I think Triller off to the side, I think um, when I think about 2021, um, you ask what does 2021 mean to me? And when when I think about 2021, uh, you know, and you know that I had potentially political aspirations. um, I think that it's, it's really a time for rebuilding our approach to, you know, I think humanity in general. And I think businesses that are smart are going to all the changes they believe they needed to make. Hopefully many of them made it. And hopefully many of them are going going to make it because they realize that it's the right thing. I think what's going to be most exciting, to be honest, is I feel like a new working, I feel like a new way of working is going to emerge for a lot of young, talented candidates. And I think that they're going to look at being in office and it's less about being in an office. I don't think they'll care about whether it's the office piece. They'll look at having to be in a specific geography as a limiting factor for being able to live their life, you know? And they're gonna live their best life ever on a mountaintop or by the beach or traveling the world, still delivering at the highest levels, but living, fulfilling the other side of their life, which I tried to capture by traveling the world with, you know, large organizations, but you're, you you know, but that's a different ball game because you're not really there in your personal time. It's always work. They're going to try to find that not work-life balance, but work-life fulfillment. And to me, that's well, there was, uh, you know, there was that like telecom commercials or for, for the early wireless stuff in the late 90s, where they would show somebody on a beach uh, with their computer and a, and a phone right. and it would say, you know, imagine working in paradise, you will, you know, and I mean, it was I think it, then it was misunderstood. But the reality now is that because of the pandemic, all of that, all of that thinking has accelerated, and we now find ourselves in a world where, really, remote working—I almost kind of like this kind of this dream, this dream that we've been hoping of of, of, a, of a remote working structure is possible, right? You can go to a mountaintop and still do you know knock knock out a couple of uh, Excel spreadsheets, whatever you do? I don't know, you know, and 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 be happy, or you can still do phone calls and get a deal done, right? So it, it is possible to live without boundaries. And I think that when we were thinking about it before, we didn't understand the true human element that sits underneath there, which is mm. people, yeah, and that's why we struggle with this work-life balance because our, our life is so routine driven because, you know, and now, and, and by the way, we were moving to this there was an underlining of movement to this Airbnb, not less ownership, more, you know, already percolating here. We, we just didn't see the bigger picture, right? And now, like, you know, I, I told you I brought my dad down to Miami and, you know, there's a whole different, that's a whole different story. Cause it's like, you know, COVID didn't make the guest list apparently. So, um, mm. but, um, which is a whole different thing. But I think once, once we're through this, you know, by September, but, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing people and, you know, very socially distant, very responsible, but they're, they're happy. All, right. all the stuff that they've gone through because they, they're made, they made a choice that they want to come here. 
and yeah. they don't want to be in New York. They don't want to struggle through the winter. You know, and, yeah. and again, not all the workforce has the opportunity to do that or has the option to do that. And so I'm very sensitive to that. But I think you're going to see it as an expectation, especially from a younger workforce. It's going to say, I want to fulfill as much as possible the other side of my life. And I think that that's going to be an interesting change. Um, well, I, 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 I want to be able to let you open those curtains and, and let the sunlight come back in from, uh, from, from the beauty, beautiful uh, Miami uh, beaches. Uh, so I, I, I think that um, what I want to do here, Bonin, is thank you so much for joining us on Uncaged today. Uh, that we, you and I could talk for hours. Um, Uncaged is a show that we aim to give a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business and mapping the path to the commerce of tomorrow. And Bon and Bao is definitely doing that. Uh, uh, definitely check out Triller. Anything else you want to give a shout out to, Bonin? Uh, tiny Organics. Tiny Organics. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show um, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.